0: everyone. Jessica and Emily joining you now, rounding out our Women in Energy podcast series by focusing on the C-suite and owning the table. We wanted to seek advice and hear experiences from some of the successful women honored at Oil & Gas Investor's 25 Most Influential Women.
1: And for this episode, we spoke with one of those successful women, Ann Fox, who's president and CEO of Nine Energy Service at Nine's headquarters in Houston. During our conversation with Anne, she discussed her path to becoming CEO and how the energy industry, or even that top position at a company, was really in her career plans now let's get to our interview with ann
0: (laughs) we're with ann fox the president and ceo of nine energy service thanks for joining us Ann.
2: thank you for having me
0: really excited to get to talk to you if you can just start off really telling us about how you got your start in oil and gas what really attracted you to the industry, to
2: energy? So I wish I had uh, some sophisticated answer for you, but I I bumped into energy. I grew up in Boston, um, actually outside of Boston, and so oil and gas was something uh, we put in our car and changed every once in a while. I really knew nothing about the industry at all. Uh, My parents ended up retiring in Texas, and when I got out of the service, I wanted to be close enough to be able to drive to see them. So I ended up coming to Houston, um, as they're in Washington County, a little bit north of the city. So it was really by chance that I ended up in, in energy after the service. Can you tell us a little bit more? Like,
1: What ways did you excel in, in the military, which is known to have fewer women than men and can be a very physically challenging environment? It,
2: it is a very physically challenging environment. It certainly was for me. I think most of us who've been in the military and uh, you know, certainly those of us who served overseas it's really hard to talk about excelling at all because of course you have been in the company of real heroes, most of whom, you know, aren't here with us any longer. Mm-hmm. But I think most of us felt we just did our part. Um, and for me, that's how I felt. I just, I did my part and I tried to do my, my best. Um, it was very physically challenging, most especially through training. And then I would say when you're overseas, for me the part that was hardest was endurance. And that was really suffering through uh, incredible heat, Mm. Uh, oftentimes difficulty, you know, getting enough uh, fluids in your system, you're carrying a lot of weight, Mm. a lot of gear. Um, And really one of the challenges I had, which might seem funny, but was dealing with a lack of hygiene in certain instances where we would be living out with a population. um, Your body just becomes so filthy and you develop these um, skin and scalp infections, and it's a funny primal thing. but. Um, it really does get to you after a while um, to not not have a bathroom that you can use and and not be able to take a shower. So um, war presents different challenges Mm -hmm. for all of us, but um, many of them are, many of the toughest ones are certainly mental.
0: I was just about to say, it sounds like a lot of that is mental too.
2: Yes, it is. It's, uh, you know, my my father used to tell me all the time, um, we we used to have all these debates about whether women could serve in combat or not. and, And he used to say, well, you know, when you get overseas and you get into a conflict situation, you realize that it's um, it's really a war of the mind. And it is, and it's just making sure that you put one, one foot in front of the other And when all the odds are stacked against you, um, you've just got to find your way through one one chunk at a time. Mm -hmm. And we found ourselves in those situations quite frequently.
1: You served in the Marines. You did three tours in
2: Iraq? I first went over in 2004. Mm -hmm. um, And I finally came home. uh, My last tour, I came home in 2008.
0: And taking that military experience and the challenging, uh, you know, from mentally to physically, that environment, can you walk us through your professional career now, Anne, and just talk to us about, you know, what you may have had to overcome or any roadblocks, really, that you had to navigate in your career? I think,
2: you know, everybody has roadblocks. I guess it's just how you approach them. Uh, For me, I really wanted to serve in the Marine Corps, so that was something I was really kind of headstrong about and determined to do. So when I finally joined, I was just so pleased to be a Marine. Um, and then of course, obviously we found ourselves um, in the middle of a conflict and we were trained for it, but I think just when you face challenges, you, um, you surround yourself with people that will enable you to get through them. And so I would say one of the, the strongest correlations between my time in the Marine Corps and then my time with Nine Energy, Um, both contributing to building the company and getting through the downturn, has been uh, surrounding myself with an incredible team.
1: At Nine Energy Service, uh, did you have any layoffs or anything like that with the downturn? Were you part of that?
2: I assumed the CEO role in July of 2015, Mm -hmm. and we started uh, cutting back. We certainly cut uh, bonus and base pay immediately. In fact, my first uh, email, all-hands email to the corporation, was to announce... Uh, the salary cutbacks and the, la- the cut, full cutting of any bonus as well as you know, 401k matches. We ended up terminating around 55% of the corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was quite a, quite a big layoff over you know, the period of 2015 to 2016. Mm-hmm. And it was at the point where you just, at some points in time, you felt like you couldn't lay enough people off to keep your costs down. Mm-hmm because the revenue line was falling so dramatically. Uh, And I remember in Q1 of 2016, having about 14 days of visibility on my top line. Um, Margins, no idea, Mm -hmm. but I had about 14 days. And every 14 days we would have a major shift in the rig count and activity. And it was at the point in that quarter where you just felt, are you going to have any revenue to work with? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was, year where we thought we wouldn't uh, even have any positive adjusted EBITDA which fortunately we came out with a bit of it uh, but you know again it was it was just a very challenging environment and it really took uh, the determination of a team and we never had any sharp elbows come out with this team we were very much aligned mm-hmm. um, very much uh, pulling our weight as best we could and I would say that We started uh, taking the deepest cuts at the top, which was critically important, and I think set the tone. Mm -hmm. So the corporate office was no way protected from the downturn, and um, that's, I think, always been an important tenet of at least my leadership style is is that kind of servant-leader mentality where the burden of command is that you bear the greatest sacrifice especially in times of crisis.
0: And I can imagine that's where your mental strength came in as well, you and, you know, everyone else that making decisions, even the ones, you know, just waiting for the decisions too.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I learned so much um, from a couple different institutions, one being the Marine Corps, but really, this is a very decisive team. And I think, you know, when you're on the battlefield, you learn that the worst thing you can do is overthink a problem you have to have a bias for action. And I think in any crisis, if you don't have a bias for action, you'll be overcome by the crisis. So this team also had a really good ability to make very challenging decisions quickly and execute. And that's that's not easy to do, whether it's drawing on a revolver or taking on uh, a client at a discounted price. I mean. Uh, shutting down locations. These were decisions that needed to be made uh, with very little information, very imperfect information, and very quickly.
1: Talking about whenever you, you assumed C, uh CEO position in 2015, right? And before that you were the CFO, correct? Correct. So that's where yes. you joined Nine Energy, right? Yes. Can you tell us about
2: your past, getting a seat at the table, so to speak, you sure. know, the CEO role? Uh, so I, I came out of the service and I landed my feet in Texas as a civilian in 2008. And I started working for a private equity firm in Houston called SCF Partners. And I started with them in two, December of 2008. So right before what people thought was a bit of a downturn of 2009, mm-hmm. it certainly was a massive recession and crisis uh, for, for lots of industries. But for oil and gas, it was really a blip compared to what we've just experienced. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started forecasting covenants and uh, financial statements so that we would avoid breaching covenants in 2009. And then uh, in 2010, the firm had a view on the complexity of of completions in North American shale. And they thought that that would drive uh, proportionally more spend in the wellbore towards completions. So they started building this concept company, which is today nine. And I worked on the first transaction in North Dakota. And we ended up partnering with a couple of great entrepreneurs up there. And that was really the first time I'd come in close contact with American entrepreneurs. And really, uh, they had a lot of the, the characteristics and qualities that my Marines had. And I had a really strong affinity to them, and I, I felt like I'd really found my calling, which was to help build businesses um, to keep you know, the, the nation's economy strong. And so that was really the first time uh, since coming home that I had, again, felt a sense of purpose.
0: That's amazing to hear. And you also mentioned a a little earlier talking to us about, uh, you know, surrounding yourself with uh, uh, people that are going to help uh, overall. Can you talk to us about really more about how important you may think a sense of the networking kind of group is to be able to work with, with being a leader and having those people to sort of count on?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I would say I spend 90% of my time picking the team. And whether that's kind of the c-suite executive team or the layers below and working with my colleagues to make sure we have the right people in the right place that's really that's really what you're doing because ultimately if you're making all of the decisions then there's probably a problem Um, so we at nine um, and also in the marine corps we feel like our our leadership responsibilities is to enable the folks in the field and that means pushing a lot of autonomy, autonomy uh, down to that level. So it's, it's really surrounding yourself with leaders that are obviously capable, smart, filled with grit and tenacity, uh, but who are also not threatened by the rising of really talented folks around them. Because ultimately you want to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, um, better than you. Uh, and so you know we, we try to find people that, that are actually energized by watching people progress in the company and um, certainly in the Marine Corps that was a big uh, theme for us too is is watching people succeed and uh, develop. And we were marked in our leadership more by our ability to develop people than our individual accomplishments. So that's, that's to me, again, a critical tenet of leadership and certainly something that's helped us empower the nine team.
0: If I could expand on that a little bit, too, what about like a younger professional maybe listening to this who doesn't have a seat at the table yet? How important is it, do you think, to find a mentor or someone maybe like that uh, in a leadership role or really just someone you can learn from, too, Mm. that sort of environment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's
2: everybody's context is different. So for me, I never had the... I never had specific mentors that I was speaking to you know, every couple of weeks that were guiding me or helping me make my career choices. It was a couple of institutions, one being the Marine Corps, the other being a, a, a school that I attended for high school called the Groton School up in Massachusetts, which really formed a lot of the values that I think define me today. But, um, and then General Petraeus was a huge mentor to me, but really watching him, by example and watching the type of leader that he was. Um, And then really critical for me uh, was always my parents. And so again, uh, for people, some people that may have a vacuum there, it may be more important for them to find those mentors kind of in business or around in their life that can be helpful. Um, But for me, it was really the institutions that I was a part of and that really believed in is adopting kind of the way that they did things um, and then finding those examples of people that you want to be like, mm-hmm. equally people that you don't want to be like. <laughs> Can you tell us more about what advice you would give to young professionals? This society that's become what I'll call like very kinetic um, and very instant is the ability to move through tedious things and not kind of always be wanting for more. Just do a good job and work hard and not, not just every day, am I you know, perfectly fulfilled? Am I perfectly this? Because when you start, you're, you, it really takes quite a long time to actually contribute. You know, I remember when I was at SCF feeling like I'm not contributing at all, I'm just learning. And really I was, it was just an apprenticeship for a long, long time. And it takes a long time for you to actually be able to provide value to any business or corporation. So I would say be patient and recognize you have a ton to learn and um, work isn't always fun, um, but it's important just to do a great, great job at whatever you're doing and be dedicated and have a sense of urgency. Some of my best colleagues, some of the ones that shine the most, um, aren't, aren't the folks that have the biggest board scores and go to Stanford Business School. They're the ones that have a sense of urgency and a strong work ethic and they're dependable and every product they put out is just top notch uh, because they're hungry. And so I, mm-hmm. as an employer, value that a lot. Um, so I think those those types of character elements are far more important. And sometimes I feel like the millennials are just kind of focused on um, very instant gratification. And a lot of life isn't that, right? I yeah. mean, earlier this yeah. year we had this great moment where we took a private jet all around the country and. We did an IPO on the company, and we got to ring the bell in the New York Stock Exchange, and that's all wonderful. Mm-hmm. But that's after you know eight solid years of lots of ups and downs, and so most of life isn't ringing the bell on the New York Stock Exchange, right? Yeah. It's um, it's just getting through the tedium and finding a way to enjoy that and do a good job at it.
1: I really appreciate your time. I thought definitely that last part about you know sense of urgency and being hungry and just knowing that whenever you start your career it's not, everything's gonna happen immediately. Like you can't measure yourself like that.
2: No, I definitely never thought I would be a CEO of a public company. (laughs) So um, that wasn't even in my, not even on my radar screen.
0: I feel sort of the same takeaway as Emily, kind of fueled and uh, energized by talking to you really about, (laughs) you know, just pace yourself and then
2: just enjoy life. And focus on, you know, doing a good job. And I would say, you know, be kind, be kind, be kind. You know, it's just, It's a basic human quality. um, And that is just such a simple thing, but for some reason it's just so hard for people to do. And don't be greedy. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think, you know, as people get more experienced and um, gain more net worth, they start to believe that they're somehow smarter than they actually are. Um, and somehow more deserving than they are, and so I think it's a perverse little thing that happens and it ends up forming greed, mm. and it's, uh, it's very off-putting yeah. to people. So I think you just need to have good people around you that will check your moral compass and be honest with you about when you're kind of crossing, crossing that line.
0: That's such good advice. We appreciate you taking the time with us, Anne, and really being able to talk to us about, you know, getting a seat at the table. I
2: appreciate it, thank you. Thank you. Visit oilandgasinvestor.com slash women dash dash energy to nominate a top female industry executive for oil and gas investors, 25 influential women in energy. Celebrate women who have risen to the top of their professions and achieve outstanding success in the oil and gas industry.
0: think about taking in what Ann said to us, my takeaway really is just focused on how grounded Ann seemed and how she mentioned to us that she didn't have a plan to be a CEO necessarily. Uh, she didn't really have that plan at all, but she really just kind of... Um, paced herself and just move forward, finds herself fortunate. She just seemed very positive and very grounded. And I also admire the way she talks about leading her team that she wants to be a part of the team, not just leading them. And it seems like she's a good listener too, which I think
1: of as good qualities, you know, when you really look at someone that you would want to follow really. From my takeaway, I just thought her story was very interesting how after her military service, she started working at a private equity firm, and that's where she was exposed to the energy industry, working up in the Bakken. She started building that, that company. that became Nine Energy, and she said that, that at that moment she felt well, that she had found her purpose. She kind of was talking about early
0: in her career just learning. She knew it was a learning position mm-hmm. for her, and she might have been a little frustrated with that, but then she realized that was going to just help her later
1: so that's where a patience comes in really it seems like part of her advice. I think it all goes into her being grounded as well. She I guess could see and maybe that's how she got to a CEO. She sees the bigger picture. It's not so like narrow and focused on me, me, me mm-hmm. kind of thing.
0: Very good point. I agree. We want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Oil & Gas
1: Investor's Women in Energy podcast. Remember, you can find more information about their program by visiting oilandgasinvestor.com slash women dash in dash energy. We would love
0: to hear from you. You can comment on this podcast on our website, oilandgasinvestor.com. We're
1: also on SoundCloud and available through iTunes. Plus, you can also tweet us at Jessica M. News and at Emily Patsy. I'm Jessica Morales. And I'm Emily Patsy, and we'll see you next time.